Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. Yeah, you know, I would have to say that aging in general is, a, is an exercise in humility because uh, the things you depend on when you're younger, your physical attributes and your strength and your elasticity and all that sort of stuff starts leaving you. This week on the podcast, Mike Coluccia talks about his dogs that he had in his truck for his story. We also learn about his aspirations to be a painter and hear about how he learned to cook from his Italian grandmother. After our conversation, you can hear the story as he shared it on the Tell Us Something stage. Big thanks to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store, and thanks to our enduring sponsors, CabinetParts.com and Blackfoot Communications. Special thanks to our champion sponsor, True Food Missoula. Thank you for joining me as I take you behind the scenes at Tell Us Something to meet the storytellers behind the stories. Each week, I sit down with a Tell Us Something Storyteller alumni. We chat about what they've been up to lately and about their experience sharing their story live on stage. Sometimes we get extra details about their story, and we always get to know them a little better. Hello, Mike. Yes. Hey, it's Mark Moss. Hey, Mark. I almost spaced it out. That's all right. What have you been up to? Actually, uh, playing a lot of music. Before I kind of got all this went down, I was trying to do a solo gig uh, musically. So I was coincidentally kind of working on that and ordered a bunch of really cool gear that I got to play with for the last couple of months. So, yeah, it's been good. Are you playing, like, any live streams or anything like that, or are you just practicing? No, just practicing and kind of going backwards and learning all the theory that I put off learning for 40 years. So I'm 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 a remedial music theory student, basically. Any specific genre you're focused on? No, I love playing everything. Um, it was kind of a bummer. We had a reggae band almost ready uh, when all this started at the end of last year a five-piece reggae uh, cover band. We were so psyched to play, and then all this went down and just shut everything down. So had some fun plans, but no, I'm, I'm really lucky, though. Every day I get to go up to Patty with the dogs and uh, shake it out with them up, uh, up at Patty. I just got back with them seconds ago. So my life is really good and full. Friends stopping by here and there, keeping our distance, trying to be smart, trying to do our part to keep it all uh, under under uh, cover. Yeah. From blowing yeah. up. Uh, so you're getting the dogs out to Patty. That's good. But they played a role in your story. Oh, yes, they did. Yes, they did. Yeah. Yep. And, These guys, same guys. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if you told us their names. What What are their names? Bluto. Um, Senator Blutarski is his full name his name was actually juno and i didn't have a alaska connection so i said well he's got kind of a head like john belushi so i named him bluto senator blutarski from animal house and there's andy andy was in the shelter four years um he's an awesome dog he's a mix from uh up in browning and i have another dog named ginger that is also a mix from browning three dogs seems like a lot you know it's not that big a deal once you get them trained up and there's an alpha within the pack so Bluto is the dog I've had the longest and he's my alpha and he's a people dog and he listens to everything I say so 
as long as he listens to me, the other two do. And it's interesting because when I leave him alone and stuff, I never feel bad because there are three of them to hang out together. So, you know, it's it's all about training. I've had Bluto 10, 11 years now, and I still train them every day when I walk them because I want to be able to take them wherever I go if we're ever allowed to go out again. I always like taking them with me and them being well-behaved is the key to having three of them. They're great dogs. They give it back. I don't have to worry about anybody breaking into my house. They're my little posse, protection posse. When you told your story, you mentioned that you were a comedian. Are you at the time we're doing some stand-up? Have you been doing any of that at all? You know, I don't do uh, really stand-up much. I've done it twice. I did a great job once, and I bombed the other time. I don't know. I just, again, I don't want to get rolling on what I'm angry about because that's probably what I do my comedy about. But I did more improv, actually. I was doing more improv back then. I I really like the spontaneity of improv and stuff. So, no, I haven't really done any comedy sort of thing. I've been getting into drawing and oil painting instead. So, whoa. Yeah, I've always wanted to do that. And there's some really fine people in town that were teaching it before all this came down. They've moved online. It's called Missoula Fine Art Studio. They're really wonderful people. They're over on the north side across from the uh, Clay Studio. A lot of people know where that is. So, yeah, great uh, young couple educated in Italy, in Florence, Italy. So I've learned a lot of really cool um, stuff that I've always wanted to learn about drawing and painting from those guys. They truly are fine artists and uh, great teachers. Yeah, I've been really lucky. I have one of the best lives ever. I'm very fortunate for the life I have. So, I have Any no... plans to show any of your work? Um, no, I'd like to actually sell it eventually, but I'm not there yet. Yeah, I'm not even there yet. I never had the patience for oils. Yeah, neither have I, but I'm I'm gaining it more so. I think there's a lot of technique to it, of course, and... There are faster ways to do it. You know, that's kind of what a lot of the, those guys teach at the studio. A lot of tips to be kind of a an artist where you can sell your work, you know, have an eye to that kind of thing and stuff. So yeah, they, they kind of work that in with their teachings and stuff as well. So, yeah, oil is definitely challenging. But, you know, I've been going to galleries since I was in my early 20s all over the world, and I've always wanted to be able to do the things that I've seen in all those galleries, all the Van Goghs and Monet's and uh, all the rest. I've always been fascinated by them. So now I have the time to do it and found some great teachers. That's so. awesome. So when you decided to pitch your story, what, what was the motivating factor there? <laughs> well, I, I remember uh, going to a show and thinking, oh, I wish I had something like that or whatever. And I can't remember when, if it was before that happened to me or the two thing happened to me or afterward, but I thought, geez, that might be a a pretty decent story to tell. You know, to this day, every time I just think about it, I kind of chuckle to myself and it brings a smile to my face. I enjoy telling it because I think it's absurdly comical. Only real life could hand you such an insane set of circumstances in a day, I I would be hard-pressed to write something like that. I I really, like, chuckle every time I think about it, and and it adds to the richness of my life. I'm thankful that I made through it. There have been several days in my life like that that I can't believe I made it from 
that morning until that night on earth. Uh, but somehow I did. And that kind of was one of them. And I just think it's a really funny story. I enjoy it. I enjoy telling it so much because I think it is such a weird, unusual story. And it's, it's somewhat self-deprecating too, because I had to do something that I really wasn't crazy about having to do um, without going into any more details. So having to, having to do that in your life is, is, is quite uh, quite a fascinating thing to have to do for several days in a row until you hit pay dirt. So I'll just leave it at that. Pay dirt. Pretty humbling, I would imagine. Yeah, you know, I would have to say that aging in general is uh, is an exercise in humility because uh, the things you depend on when you're younger, your physical attributes and your strength and your elasticity and all that sort of stuff starts leaving you. Your ego gets pushed down a little bit. And I think that's a really good thing that you learn as you get older, that you're not as cool as you thought you were or are probably most assuredly. I had an abscessed tooth in um, <laughs> March. And this when, year? Yeah, yep. I called my dentist, and he was like, well, I can get you in a couple of days from now. Obviously, we're closed. Um, we'll get you x-rayed and get it looked at and all that. And so fast forward to when he finally brings me in to replace it. You know, the tooth had been made at the lab and all that. Right. And he got me all numbed up, and he's doing all the things. He's like, you know, just let me know if you need any more, if you're, if you're having any trouble. And I'm gripping the chair so hard because not because I'm in pain, but because I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> because I don't I don't wanna have like chapter two for your story and you don't want to be taking chapter two for your <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, Are you okay? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm just trying not to laugh and he goes, Is this funny? <laughs> I'm like, It is funny <laughs> Did you tell an ab- an abbreviated version of it? I did, and he couldn't believe it. I, I actually just now, as we're talking, I told him I would send it to him, and I forgot, so I wrote it down oh, right my. now. I'm going to send it to him when we hang up, but I'm sure he'll appreciate it. He's, he's a great dentist, and he's got a great sense of humor. So, Life is awesome that way. You never know when you wake up what's going to happen to you, how you're going to deal with it. That's why when I used to teach improv, Everyone was always so afraid of it, and I said, every day of your life is total improvisation. No matter how well you plan out your life, it never, ever goes that way. Maybe rarely, but hardly ever. So you you improvise on a daily basis every second of every day. It's just something we do as human beings. You never know what's going to come to you, and I think that's the beauty of life a lot of times if you look at it that way. It's a good way to look at it. I think Deepak Chopra, he used to tell his kids to look forward to the new year. Every year, you know, when New Year was coming around, he'd say, the coolest thing about New Year's is that you never know what's going to come into your life that next year. And I always thought that's really a cool way to look at it and fascinating, I thought. Well, when we were thinking about it like that in 2019, we had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, we were going to have to adapt this year. You know, I, I saw an epidemiologist that was on uh, public television on the news hour, and he said that the way 
that we are living is unsustainable. He said, even if we were to get a vaccination for COVID-19 tomorrow, he said there are a thousand other COVIDs behind that. He said, the problem is we are living unsustainably on the planet. And unless we correct that, this is going to occur time and time again, over and over. The more people, the more it's going to happen, the more we use up everything, the more it's going to happen unless we change how we live. This is just another warning sign for us, basically, he said. What was his name? You know, I don't know. Um, he's not off-quoted. I can't remember his name. He was an ecological epidemiologist, I believe, is what his title was. It was on the news hour probably a couple months ago, maybe a month ago. And he was talking about that, and I thought, wow, that's really interesting because everybody's so focused on this one thing. And you could tell that as soon as people were locked down a few weeks, they went crazy, let out, and told that responsibly. They just, they just went bananas. So it just shows you that even if we get a vaccine, we won't learn from that unless we learn how to live more in harmony with um, the rest of the you know people and things we have to live with on Earth. Yep. Old hippie talk. I was too young to be a hippie in the 60s. I was a little kid, so I'm, I'm turning into a half hippie, half old Italian lady living in our little shack in Italy. A neo-hippie with homemade raviolis. My grandmother, she lived when she was a little girl in Italy. They lived very. They lived on a farm, so she lived a peasant's life. They grew all their own food. They made all their own pasta every day and stuff, and that's kind of the life I've always aspired getting back to, and that's kind of the life I'm living right now. I'm very lucky. I live a very simple, simple, pleasurable life. Did she ever give you any of her recipes? You know, I was going through, actually, my mother's recipes that are all handwritten, and they are cookies that I'm sure might not even be in the recipe book anywhere. Um, and I used to cook with my grandmother when I was a kid. She lived until I was 18, so I used to make pasta with her every other day or so when I was a little kid. I grew up cooking um, a lot of Italian specialties when I was a 10-year-old kid. When it was raining out and I couldn't go play basketball, I would hang out in the kitchen with uh, my grandmother, my mother, and my sister while my dad was uh, working and we would make whatever, meatballs, sauce, homemade pasta, you name it, we would make it. Wedding cookies, that was a big thing at Italian weddings. Pitzels, yep, we'd make pitzels. That's a very Italian thing, yep, pitzels. I actually have a pitzel iron in my closet, my grandmother's pitzel iron. It's not electric, you have to put it on the stove and heat it, heat both sides of it up and do it oh my God. manually, yeah. Yeah, that's probably that thing's probably a hundred years old. I'm sure. I never used that one. I used to help my mom. She had the electric side by side double pitzel maker. Right, I had one like that too. Oh, when the pitzels come off of that thing, hot. Oh, they're so good. There's nothing like it. the The whole house smells amazing. Yeah, the uh, the anise anise smell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did, uh, would you guys make Easter bread like the egg bread with raisins? Yep. Yeah, we would braid them. Yep, that's how we would do it, too. You wouldn't have been able to eat their meatballs uh, with that tooth situation that you had. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, it's still in there. Yeah, I know. She said it was going to – she didn't think – when she put it back in, she said, uh, it's probably going to only be six months or something. It'll probably come out pretty quick now that whatever. And it is still in there. I think it's been three years now, at least two or three years. Well, so it's great.
Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today, Mike. All right, buddy. All right. Thanks, Mike. You bet, Mark. See we'll ya. Bye. Mike Coluccio was first introduced to improvisational comedy at a workshop taught by a member of the L.A.-based Groundlings Comedy Troupe. He doesn't do much stand-up anymore, and his professional career includes over 20 years of experience in medical sales management. He's also a former restauranteur and whitewater river guide. I met him when he was tending bar at Imagination Brewing right here in Missoula, Montana. Mike shared his story in front of a live audience on June 12, 2019 at the Wilma in Missoula, Montana. The theme that night was, what are the chances? Mike calls his story Prospector. Thanks, Mark. Well, my story starts on a really beautiful, cold November day in Missoula. I had a dental appointment at two in the afternoon. I was lucky to be temporarily underemployed so I could sleep till noon. And I scheduled the appointment for two in the afternoon, and I thought, well, I'm getting a crown put on. And for those of you guys that don't know what a crown is, it's just a fake tooth that they glue on to what's left of your old tooth. Younger people out there don't, probably don't know that yet, but you will. So I thought, it's such a beautiful day, as is my custom. I have three rescue dogs, and... I thought, why don't I throw the dogs in the truck? I'll only be there probably 20 minutes, and I'll be out of there. I can take the dogs for a walk up into the woods. I knew I shouldn't have thought that probably, but... So I went to the dentist, got in the chair. She fit my crown on. This was the permanent. All she had to do was merely glue it on. So she put it on my tooth, and then she couldn't get it off. So she took a piece of floss and started flossing back and forth, kind of, and trying to pull it off. As she did this, it popped off the tooth and pinballed around in my mouth. I jumped out of the chair really quickly, didn't know what to do. She looked at me, I looked at her. She said, do you have the tooth? I said, no, do you? (laughs) And she said, no, I don't have it. How would I have it? So... I said, well, what now? She said, well, you're going to have to go to the ER room. And I said, why? And she said, you're going to have to get an x-ray to make sure it didn't go down into your airway. So I freaked out immediately. Then I ran into the bathroom really quickly. I said, I'm going to get that thing before it goes all the way down. So I went in the bathroom and went, ah, ah, ah. For like 10 minutes I went in there, I shoved my fingers so far down into my throat, like to China. And I just kept gagging and I couldn't get it out, I couldn't get it out. So finally I just gave up after about 10 minutes and the noise I made was, well you heard it. So when I came, when I went to get, come out of the bathroom which is next to the lobby, I I took a quick look in the mirror, and I looked like this. (laughs) And I didn't care. I was just like, I got this tooth. I don't know where this tooth is. So I just didn't care. I opened the door. When I opened the door and I looked out, all the people in the waiting room... We're sitting there, 
and they were horrified. They were like moving back in their chairs. It's like they saw a ghost Godzilla all rolled into one. I kind of laughed myself a little at that point, but I had to remember what I was doing. They did not want to go, I guarantee you, to see that dentist after I came out of that bathroom, though. Just... So I ran back to the dentist, and I said, well, what do we do now? And she said, well, you're going to have to go to the ER. If you couldn't make it come up, you'll have to go to the ER. So I got in the truck, ran out of there, just sprinted out of there, got back in the truck, drove like a crazy person to the hospital. The dogs were in the back. They were getting thrown around. I kept apologizing. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm really sorry, but there's a tooth somewhere in my body. I don't know where it is. So I was taking chances. I was cutting in front of people, going the wrong way. I didn't care. I just wanted to get there. So finally, I get there. And the lady checking me in is so sweet and kind, but she's taking forever. And I'm trying to be polite and nice, but inside I'm going, hurry up, there's a tooth somewhere in my body. That's, I'm just feeling that way. So they take me in the back, and I wait there a while, and a young resident comes out, and he said, well, we x-rayed you, and we can't find it. And I said, well, you know, I, I, I think it's still in my throat. I, I feel like it's still in my throat. Can you x-ray my throat? So he x-rays my throat. About 20 minutes passes. I'm hearing people talking, chatting. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bill. Cindy, come over here. He's like waving people over to the CRT screen. I'm like, what's going on? So I go over there and look. I, and my tooth is up in my sinus cavity. <laughs> what I think happened was, <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> so what I think happened was, when I jumped up out of the chair, I went, <laughs> And I must have snorted that tooth <laughs> up into my nose. <sighs> so now the resident sa says to me, well, um, we called Rocky Mountain ENT, ear, nose, and throat, and there's a guy over there, he has the right instruments. I'm like, you don't have the right instruments here? So I run out of there like a crazy person. I'm just like, and I get into the car and I'm driving crazy over to this other place because I think maybe it's still, it's going to fall down. I can get it before it falls down. So I'm trying not to swallow. I'm trying not to move my head. And I get to the ENT place and everybody's gone for the day. But the doctor's still there. But they don't admit me right away, and I'm pacing back and forth. I'm just freaking out. I'm like, hurry up. I have a tooth in my head, please. Don't you understand, you stupid people? That was all in my head. And finally, they let me back. 
And the doctor came out and he said, well, I don't think it's in your sinus. I've been doing this 40 years and I've never seen it happen. <laughs> Comes back five minutes later. Oh yeah, it's in your sinus. So then he tells me the options are surgery with general anesthesia, or he can stick uh, hemostats down my nose and try and pull it out through my nose. So that's an easy choice, I think. So I get in the chair, and he numbs me up, and he sticks these things down my nose. That's not the worst part. So he, he says, I got it. I got it. I can hear the metal hitting that tooth when he's doing this. So he starts pulling it on it and he's pulling on it and it's just not happening. It's not coming out. And I'm like, how much longer is he going to do this? So he keeps pulling, he keeps pulling. And every time he pulls my butt cheeks, <laughs> lift off the seat. Because it was painful. And then all of a sudden I realize he's never going to stop because this has never happened to him before. How would he know when to stop? So finally I say, enough, enough. You're killing me here. You're going to pull my brains out through my nose. So finally he says, I'm just going to tap it. That's the only other thing we can do. Try not to swallow it. says, you ready? I said, I'm ready. Let's do this. Taps it. I just go. <laughs> swallowed it instantly. <laughs> so now he says, I, or I say to him, I said, now what? He said, as a matter of fact, you have to go back to the ER. I'm like, oh my God, will this hell never end? So I run out of there. I don't even hear anything else he says. I just run out of there. And since I'm by home, I dump my dogs off at home. I smoke some weed. And I can, and I can actually like, take a second and say, holy shit. That was a crazy four hours so far, and it's not over. So I go into the ER. They, they, it takes forever to get back in there. Everybody sounds like they're dying in the ER. I'm going to get pneumonia and die myself, I think. So they x-ray it, and they do find, in fact, that it was in my digestive system, finally. So they get ready to check me out, and the nurse um, says on my way out, uh, she said, here, take these. And she gives me uh, like three or four of these plastic cowboy hats and some tongue depressors. And I look at her and I look at her and say, well, what are these for? And she said, well, you have to go through your poop to make sure that it, co that it comes out. Oh, uh, yeah, naturally, right? So I'm kind of stunned, and I walk out of there. They finally let me out of there with my cowboy hats and tongue depressors. 
And the last thing the nurse says on my way out is, hey, be careful that tooth doesn't bite you in the ass on the way out. So I go home with my cowboy hats, and for the next three days, I'm panning my poop for that tooth. And finally, on the third day, and it's interesting, <laughs> you can get good at anything, and I mean anything. Especially where getting your own poop on yourself is involved. You get really good at it. But anyway, that's a whole other story. So I finally find the tooth. And after a bunch of uh, scrubbings and boiling it, I finally bring it into my dentist. And it has been in my mouth ever since. After... <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike, and thank you for listening today. To see the x-ray of the crown stuck in Mike's sinus cavity, visit tellussomething.org. Be sure to tune in next week when I check in with Molly Bradford. My story was complicated because I was talking about this hunting event, but I was also talking about why I got into hunting and what was relevant about that and some of my personal ethics around it and how it related to my kid Tune in for that conversation on the next Tell Us Something podcast. If you want to support what we do, you can do that financially by donating. Go to tellussomething.org and click the handshake support icon in the top right-hand corner. You can also tell someone about the show. Recommend Tell Us Something to just two people who have never listened to it. Please rate and review this podcast on your podcast app. It really helps. Clicking five stars and writing a short review helps people find the show. Thank you for finding the show. If you ever want to drop me a line, you can write to mark at tellussomething.org. If you want to get some cool Tell Us Something merch, visit tellussomething.org slash shop. New in the Shop is a recording of the live scored stories that were shared at the Tell Us Something fundraiser in February 2020. Check that out, as well as lots of other cool stuff. Thanks again to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store. Dedicated to supporting a healthy community, The Good Food Store provides a wide selection of organic food and natural products. Now offering curbside pickup, learn more at goodfoodstore.com. Thanks also to our enduring sponsors, cabinetparts.com, the number one source for cabinet hardware since 1997. Providing the best kitchen cabinet hardware at a great price with knowledgeable cabinet hardware specialists CabinetParts.com is the direct source for all of your cabinet hardware needs. Blackfoot Communications. Since 1954, Blackfoot Communications have fostered a reputation based on exceptional customer service and community involvement. They deliver superior technology solutions through trusted relationships and enrich the lives of their customers, owners, and employees. Learn more at Blackfoot.com. Thanks to our champion sponsor, True Food Missoula. 
offering weekly meal delivery to nourish your family and friends, have a look at the menu and order online at TrueFoodCSA.com. Thanks to Cash for Junkers who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at CashForJunkersBand.com. Thanks to our sponsors, Missoula Bone and Joint, providing superior clinical orthopedic care to their patients for over 60 years, MissoulaBoneAndJoint.com. Access Physical Therapy, an enthusiastic team dedicated to providing compassionate and comprehensive care to their clients. Learn more at AccessMissoula.com. Thank you to our in-kind sponsors. Logjam presents. The Top Hat restaurant and bar is open with limited capacity in-house dining and takeout. They're also now hosting live entertainment at the Wilma Cabaret. Learn more at logjampresents.com. Missoula Broadcasting Company. Learn more at missoulabroadcasting.com. Float Missoula, formerly known as Enlightened Lab Float Center. Learn more at floatmsla.com. Inertia Physiotherapy. Move better, feel better, stay in motion. Inertiaphysiomt.com. GeckoDesigns.com, MissoulaEvents.net, podcast production by me, Mark Moss. Next week on the Tell Us Something podcast, join Molly Bradford and me as we revisit her story of harvesting a doe. It being hunting season and all, now is a good time to share this conversation. Tune in next week for that, and remember to subscribe to the Tell Us Something podcast. To learn more about Tell Us Something, please visit tellussomething.org. Stay safe, wear a mask, take care of yourself, and take care of each other, and don't forget to vote.